TV Corner. Hey guys, welcome to another Film Court TV Corner podcast. This week, I am joined by Alex Kirschenbaum to talk about Lovecraft Country, Episode 4. Obviously, Season 1, we're still in there. A History of Violence. This episode sort of definitely, I mean, clearly we're doing different like movie tropes and themes. So this week was definitely the Our Indiana Jones slash Journey to the Center of the Earth slash National Treasure slash, you know, a good old treasure hunt mystery. Alex, what'd you think right off the bat? Well, um, I don't know. I really like that they went mm-hmm. full Indiana Jones with it. They've, they've sort of been Indiana Jones core for most of it, except for like last week's Haunted House episode. It's pretty much been kind of Indiana Jones core, and now they've really fully leaned into it with this treasure hunt and the, the magical, uh, immortal, cursed person trapped in a in a place that's a lot like in jones and the last crusade so it's like the knight who's guarding the holy grail yeah yeah i don't know it was it was good um and i like that they leaned into it and got into sort of the the fantasy stuff it's not very horror-ish this episode but i was actually cool with that yeah i definitely agree i agree like i think that it was nice to get them to have them like delve into sort of like more of the horror genre but overall, I feel like the writing and the tone of like how the show has gone along so far definitely feels more in that vein of like a more lighthearted, campy vibe of like Indiana Jones. So I'm glad we definitely like went more that route for this episode. And I think that, I mean, despite a few beats, which we will get into, I think this worked really well for this episode. Yeah. So as a recap for those who, I mean, obviously you've seen it, but just a refresher. Uh, we discover that Christina Braithwaite's father set up an invulnerability spell for her that he had to remove from himself before enacting the final ritual that eventually destroyed the Braithwaite estate. And Atticus suspects that Christina used him as a Trojan horse to destroy her father. So we remember in like episode two, essentially, um, Christina gave Atticus a special ring. And while they were performing the ritual with the Sons of Adam, it destroyed her father. So we can assume that it's all part of her master plan, that she's sort of the real puppet master in this whole scenario. And we see that even play out further when she gets picked up by the cops. And it seems that they have a relationship that spans pretty far back, meaning that the cops have an understanding with the Sons of Adam, and that although she's a woman, that she also has some history with them, or in some ways her being a woman has limited her powers in the actual organization. And they also have access to some, some sort of time machine. I mean, with the whole, I don't feel like we learned anything new from this. I think we already assumed that, like, there was some crookedness between the cops and the Braithwaites. But now we've gotten sort of more, more of a concrete bond between the two. Yeah, but the, was the time machine thing ever established in the other three episodes? I don't remember that at all. And it just comes out of nowhere, and then we cut out of the scene, and it's never addressed again. No, no, and, I, uh, I don't think it ever was, and I feel like we're building into it whatever direction they're going to go in with this, like, too quickly. Like, I yeah, feel like yeah. this show, overall, the pacing has been very much, like, we need to keep this moving, but I feel like in some ways they've sacrificed a lot of narrative where they could have bought more time. As far as just, like, explaining to us, like, what the stakes are and what the actual lore is behind everything. Yeah, I totally agree, for sure. Yeah, and with that, I mean, Atticus... um and his entire family um, being within Chicago, they decide 
Hmm. Let me back up. Ugh. So Atticus, his entire family in Chicago, uh, plus Letty and uh, their uh, sort of family friend tree head to Boston to seek the vault of Titus, founder of the Sons of Adam, except for Tree, who's just sort of hitching a ride uh, en route to Philadelphia for some reason. They've, they've been clued into this whole thing with Titus thanks to uh, Christina's confrontation with Atticus in the last episode. Meanwhile, Letty's half-sister Ruby goes to Marshall Fields to apply for a job, um, and she finds that another woman has laid claim to it, um, and because it's another African-American woman, she thinks that um, the odds of her securing a job with Marshall Fields uh, are slim to none. And then we discover that Christina might be a shapeshifter. She appears to turn into the Braithwaite family's quote-unquote advisor, William, that we met from episode two, um, and as William, she beats up some Chicago cops who have been tracking her. Again, it could be that Christina and William are different people, but that William is always sort of keeping tabs on her from afar, but the way it was set up, it looked like she turned into him, but we it's not confirmed to this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that, I mean, I think that we already sort of knew that William was sort of like the protector of the Braithwaites um, based upon when he answered the door when they initially went to the Braithwaite uh, Lodge. I think it was a weird... I don't know if anyone has played Resident Evil Code Veronica, but there are a lot of, like, weird twin similarities here so maybe that could be something that is played into or that we they address in later episodes but yeah essentially we don't really understand where William comes from and I I don't actually remember if I see if we see William and her together ever I don't recall I, I think you're right We'll, we'll again, so much that. that episode was so overstuffed that I don't remember a lot of it because yeah, they just threw so much stuff at us. We we've covered so much ground in I feel like four episodes that like, yes, you could say that it's great that this thing is moving quickly, but at the same time, like, it is hard to fully grasp the weight of things when we are moving at this pace and we aren't fully emotionally invested into characters. As you touched on, Letty's half sister Ruby goes to Marsha Fields to apply for a job. Um, and her whole thing with it is that, like, black women don't often get hired into these really nice department stores. And seeing a black woman already there kind of says, like, oh, they're not going to apply looking for another one. Um, especially for, like, a place where, like, looks or definitely everything, like, Ruby would not be the quintessential sort of, like, cookie-cutter type of woman they're looking for. And I think that we didn't... I don't know if you if you knew that it was even her dream to work there. Well, she uh, talks about it um, in... I don't remember if it was the last episode. I think, no, it is the last episode. Because she was talking about working on a job application to Marshall Fields, and then Letty said she'd help her. And this is before they had their falling out uh, over the fact that Letty inherited, or appeared to have inherited money from their mom um, and didn't tell Ruby about it. Um... But yeah, she does mention it. But again, it's one of those things. There's so many things like this in this show mm-hmm. that just happen. It's a two second bit, and then you then it goes into it. Like at this point, it doesn't really matter that much, I guess. But it also it does feel weird that it sort of it feels like it comes out of nowhere that she's very distraught about not getting this job yeah. because there's a, there's been like a two two line exchange about it to this point. You know, there's not a ton of setup. But but I guess you you could look at it more broadly and say, well, she wants a a new more consistent job than her. Um, her singing career, which is sort of sputtered, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I 
totally agree. Like, it feels like, yeah, it would make sense as motivation, but also, like, we feel like we haven't gotten enough of that backstory to even feel invested in it. So when she's so distraught that she, like, you know, turns to William for comfort despite her own, like, sort of, like, apprehension towards, like, white men, which is understandable, it seems even weird that she would take that risk or be that upset when we haven't felt like her character's been that invested in the job to begin with. Like, also, how invested in a job can you be if, like, we've never seen her talk to anyone who works there, we've never seen her shop there, we've never seen any sort of, like, inclination that, like, she actually is a part of the store community? It's Yeah, I agree. Um, I, like, I like that Marshall Fields in Chicago, you mm-hmm. know, it's a, it's an awesome store, but, uh, but yeah, um... It was a, it was kind of abrupt and it was a strange. I I think I think there it was maybe they were supposed to they're trying to make it more of like a broad thing about the character mm-hmm. and less about that specific job than just a job that would be giving her sort of forward momentum in life. But but it wasn't I don't know it was it, it all felt pretty fast and so I, I I don't know. Yeah. We we track our heroes to a Boston museum, uh, not Ruby, but the rest of them, um, Lady Matros and Atticus. Uh, Specifically, uh, follow a map into a subterranean lair containing three tunnels. Um, they're looking for Titus's buried treasure, uh, and it's gone full Indiana Jones at this point. And uh, we don't even see Tree leave, but he at this point has left. And meanwhile, um, George's widow and um, his daughter, Atticus's cousin, are heading back to Chicago before uh, abruptly changing course and uh, deciding to do some investigating of their own. Uh, back in Chicago, uh, Ruby sings uh, to a lackluster reception at a small dive bar. Uh, then William and or Christina, as William, hits on her, uh, promising her the world. Um, and they hook up. And uh, we're not really sure what his motivations are. Um, but we know that he, this is a pre-planned hookup because uh, when he beat up the cops, he said that he had a date. Um so so something's going on with Christina trying to work her way into the family. Oh, that's a I, great either via William or or you know, as William. I don't know. Okay, the group inadvertently resurrects a Native American uh, hermaphrodite corpse, Yahimi Marocoti, and uh, Atticus is able to speak to and understand uh this character in her native uh language, Arawak, and she was recruited by Titus to decipher his book and then brought over uh, stateside and imprisoned, like deep beneath the surface of what became this museum, and it's now she's she's in uh, an ancient ship, um, and uh, her spirit's been imprisoned, but she's awakened once uh, Letty Montrose and Atticus enter her her room, and she's consulting this crucial map. Uh, apparently, Titus turned her into a siren so that she couldn't speak if she was rescued, uh, and so. She and the group escape uh, this uh, ship beneath the tunnels as it floods. Um, and then they try to figure out how to communicate with her um, and, and get to the next step in their adventure, uh, looking for this treasure. And then, as a nice little pre-credit credit button, Montrose apologizes to her before slitting her throat. So suddenly, uh, we, we knew beforehand that Montrose knew more about what was going on than he was telling Atticus and Letty, but now it seems like maybe he is um, possibly working against them, 
in some capacity to conceal information from them um, because he wants to acquire the treasure for himself or, or is in cahoots with Christina. Who knows? But yeah. Interesting. Interesting wrinkle. Montrose himself is battling his own demons and that's apparent with his own sort of like flashbacks to his own upbringing and also using alcohol as a way to sort of like drown out those memories. Um, We clearly know that because Atticus was like checking out those books and Montrose had already checked them out ahead of time. Shows like Montrose has been on track with this mystery and it is super frustrating that like he's not sharing as much information. So we do know that there's some reason why he like doesn't want Atticus to get to the truth um, by killing Yahima, Yahimi, but also it just feels like, like, why would he not want to be sharing information? Seems really weird to me, considering that, like, he's seen the stakes and he's seen that, like, how important Atticus is to this final sort of, like, story and this entire arc, like, here, like, they, he knows that he needs Atticus's blood and that keeping Atticus out of the the circle of knowledge is not going to pay off in the end. It's weird because I feel like before this episode, you know, um, he was dealing with some stuff and he was distressed and they were rescuing him and um, they're all very much on his side and he dares. And so for him to do this abrupt shift feels like another thing that like was retroactively intentional. Like they didn't, like he wasn't always supposed to be a bad guy. I don't know. I guess we'll see. But it's just tough to look through the lens of the last couple episodes. Look through the lens of this episode at the last couple episodes and and think that he's being duplicitous. So maybe there's more to it. Or maybe maybe she, this character has to die, uh, Yahimi, so that something can happen that's positive for the family. And he just, he maybe has to do something terrible so that they can succeed. Mm -hmm. And he just doesn't want them to have to worry about that or something. I don't know. I I like to think that he hasn't done a full heel turn. I guess we don't know. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, like, I feel like for a lot of these, for Montrose especially, like, his character's been so flat and, like, just, like, with no redeeming qualities. So, like, to see him do this, it's just sort of, like, to see him do this, it's just sort of, like, I don't feel like his character is growing at all and I don't know why they keep including them in the story. They're just going to keep, like, making them, making him make these weird choices. Um... Going back into their time in the museum, I mean, I really love the set piece as a whole. I love, I mean, one of my greatest fears is sort of drowning alive. So I love that this sort of like water element puts like definitely a stopwatch on everything. And yeah, I mean, I hope that they continue along this like Indiana Jones route in the future um, because I really enjoyed it. Like, again, it, I think it fits perfectly with the story arc. I think it fits perfectly with the pacing. If it's this kind of, like, storytelling device and this theme, like, works really well with this show. Yeah, I agree. I really like that they've leaned into this uh, Indiana Jones angle. It's fun. And um, I do miss the squid monsters, but I don't miss um, mm. the uh, the overt, like, attempts at, like, a horror sort of spin. So I think that this is kind of cool. Oh, that there are more squid monsters with a bunch of eyeballs at some point. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think with that horror genre, especially they tried to go with, like, I think it requires a much more, like, um, sort of, like, reserved, like, pacing. Like, I would have loved to have seen, like, this, if that had been, like, a two-hour horror movie and, like, we had the same sort of pacing as, like, The Witch, for example. I think that would have paid off. But because we're, like basically moving at a, at a fast, like, R.L. Stein Tales from the Crypt pace, 
like you're not going to get a lot of that emotional payoff that you would get with like a longer burning horror. So that is like my one thing where I feel like if they aren't going to invest the time, it's not worth like going into these sorts of like tropes, you know? Yeah, I agree that it serves these characters and a TV show better to make it more of an adventure. It's, tr- it's tough to make it like a sustaining horror thing. So, yeah. Um, I hope that it continues in this vein. This is definitely like my second favorite episode so far of the, the four. Uh, another one, another thing that I wanted to discuss with you is like definitely the music choices. So, I am actually like not a fan of this like pop culture these pop culture music choices. Um, quite frankly, I think they're distracting and they add a weird context or like narrative where there isn't really one. So I feel like they're kind of misleading, especially with like the Rihanna bitch better have my money, like playing for Christina Braithwaite as she just like drives to the house was weird. Yeah, because in that scene, she doesn't want money. Well, she does indirectly. She wants the treasure, right? I guess, so, but she also has lots of money, and it's not like Letty is keeping her from the money directly, so it's not like a direct confrontation over money. Yeah, it's like... But I, I guess indirectly it is, because it's about treasure, but that's not, I don't know, that's not what the song's about, so... I, and I think with shows like this, it, like, I love period pieces, and I love when there's, like, period music, so, like, to hear, like, Rihanna, although I love that song, it just takes you out of it more, and to say, like, that this world is so campy and sort of, like, already elevated, you need everything you can get to help you stay invested and stay in the moment with these characters. And, like, being pulled into these pop music songs is, like, just so distracting and jarring that I think it really takes away from the show overall. I get that. I was trying to talk myself into it because I was thinking about... um, They did this before in the first episode when when Atticus turns the fire hydrant on after some cops had turned it off for the kids to play in and uh, when he was visiting Uncle George for the first time. Mm -hmm. And um, it worked for that. So I was trying to say, oh, well, there's been a groundwork set for this. Like, for the, I mean, this time it's been like, it was an explosion. There were like, I think four, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe just three um, very famous pop songs that were used as like big music cues for, uh, sort of establishing moments for scenes. So I was trying to be open to it, but I, I, I don't disagree. It, it is weird. You think about, like, watching uh, a lot of period movies and they have music that is sort of generic, thematic, um, stirring, uh, you know, a, like a score, but it's not necessarily... It, obviously, it, the, the score is modern, so, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to think of it like, oh, well, like, you know, this music is modern, but, you know, a lot of music made for movies, most of it is modern, and it's just designed to emulate the sounds of the past or or to be sort of timeless and this time they're making it uh weirdly modern and so i don't know i was trying to be open with it i can't say i loved it but it was okay mm-hmm. it, I, just, I just hope they like temper it a little bit because yeah it'd be nice if they're gonna have like songs where you can totally hear the lyrics like it'd be better if it like tied up a little bit more or it was more motivated because like the scene the other scene where ruby walks into marshall fields and She's looking for money. Like, we don't exactly know what she's there for. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's not like, it doesn't, it, it, I think, yeah, if it, if it was more like a the culmination of something yeah, uh, yeah. to emotionally justify I it, agree. I think it'd be okay. I agree okay. with both Christina and Ruby. Like, again, we don't really understand their motivations. So, like, playing these songs where it should have been a very clear, like, playing Bitch Bear Had My Money should be very clearly, like, a mob boss 
collecting from someone and we know their relationship we know like what this mob boss is looking for versus like we have no context and just like playing the song is just like us just doing too much work before the scene is able to actually breathe and like do some of that work for us you know yeah yeah you're talking me out of it. I, I think, yeah, I think I'm less into the music cues now <laughs> after know. this conversation. <laughs> I know. I want you, like, ah, I want to change your mind. I want you to just enjoy it. But, like, yeah, that was just my feeling. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're totally right. Um, but I guess watching it a second time, you can sort of justify it more because you're like, oh, I know where this is going to go, yeah. and that's why this music's here. But watching the first time, it's super jarring. It's, yeah, it is a weird marriage. I don't know. Let's see. What, okay, uh, what are your expectations for next week? I guess in terms of um, either a character thing or the story, just like one big sh- Um, I hope we get, I mean, this whole Christina trying to get the pages for the whole Braithwaite thing is like sort of already getting played out, despite the pigs that were given. Um, so I hope that Atticus learns to use some spells in the, in the next episode and, like, can more effectively move towards his end goal. But also, like, it's, like, we don't really know fully, again, what the stakes are. Like, what? who cares if she gets the pages? You know, like, what is, wh- why would that even be bad? If that makes sense. Right, yeah. Again, it's one of those things where she talks about it once with Atticus in the last episode, and I've already forgotten the gist of that conversation, aside from the fact that she wants it. Exactly. Like she wants the spell, uh, the missing pages or whatever for the spell for what is it? Is that the time machine? I don't even remember actually. I maybe that is the I time mean, machine. I guess no, right? I get it's the a different thing. Adam thing. But the thing is, like this, everything they do still seems pretty contained to like their organization. Like even the whole like Brickwise Lodge exploding and burning down was just like controlled within that group. They didn't like affect any outside people. So until we see right. like anyone outside of their world really being affected by these things, then there's just not going to be any stakes. Like, are we going to see the security guard tomorrow who, like, is going to be like, what the fuck happened at this exhibit? You know? Like, or... Yeah. You know, it's that's just all I mean. Right. And then also, I mean, you think about Nina Jones, I think we talked about this before, but the motivations of those guys are pretty clear. Like, the bad guys. Uh, well, when it's Nazis, they want to take over the, and destroy um, the civilized world the way... Indiana Jones knows it, I guess. But, um, so that's their motivation. But then also they want to collect all these creepy artifacts. Exactly. Because Hitler is fascinated with them. And he wants to use them to, in his world takeover, maybe. And, uh, so that's their motivations. And then there's the the character we talked about from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, mm-hmm. who wants the Holy Grail and dies, kind of like the way that um, Christina's father dies in the second episode. Um, but he just wants to live forever and he doesn't care about compromising himself to do it so again it's all very clear mm-hmm. like we know the motivations right away and the well, actually okay so to be fair no that's not true totally for it's not totally true for that character because at first he says Dana jones he's you know fascinated about it and he's a collector of antiquities etc cetera, etc cetera. but we find out that what he wants is actually to live forever but either way both those motivations are pretty clear and it'd be cool like i don't really mind if there's lying about what the motivations are but i would like a clearer sense yeah, of yeah we have no idea what, they want. what each step even means for like the plot that they take or yeah anything so it's hard to know like okay like how much does it matter that they even like made it to titus's crypt and took 
a map out. We don't know. Right. So it's hard for us to care. Like, how yeah. much do we care that, like, Christine is working with the cops? Honestly, a little bit, but not as much as we should, given... How evil the cops are. Yeah, given, like, the amount of power these cops would actually have, I think still, like, the fact that they haven't, like, done an investigation for the missing white neighbors seems, like, inconvenient. Like, well, let's wash our hands of this, and we don't want to write any sort of conclusions to this issue. Because in reality, if a black family moved in, and as a, a three white men disappeared, this would be a whole thing. Yeah, that's another thing, too, actually. Like, the corpse of one of the neighbors appears in Boston when they're in the tunnels. How does that happen? What is that? I don't understand. Like, they don't really go into the... She says, oh, this was my neighbor, I think. He was missing. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, think, I think it must be one of the guys... We don't really see him that clearly, but I think it's one of the guys that snuck into her house, one of those three guys that you're talking about. And so, what the hell was that? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. That was weird. But yeah, I agree. Okay, oh, actually, okay, the one thing I will say is like, I do have a prediction for next week, or the next, let's say the next two episodes. I think at some point we're going to see Ghost Titus, because we've already seen the ghost of this uh, spirit that he's imprisoned. He's, this whole organization, Sons of Adam, is all-powerful. Um, so if she can live forever, maybe he can live forever, or have some sort of spell that preserves him somewhere. So I'm, I'm assuming we're going to see some kind of magical ghost Titus. Because mm-hmm. they already cast out the one ghost of the other guy that owned the house, whose name escapes me, but from the Holy Ghost episode. So there's a precedent for ghosts, and Titus is like sort of a, a nice big bad. So that's my prediction. Okay. Next two episodes. Okay. Yeah, my prediction is going to be like we're going to be still pissed at Montrose, and... Letty and Atticus are still going to have a lot of tension. Right, they made out for like two seconds and then but they're never um, gonna the wailing talk about started. It again until next week when they're right. pissed again. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird will they or won't they thing because like they, they do and then they stop. And it's like that's, that's even more confusing in a way. Mm-hmm. Once again for throwing down another edition of the Lovecraft Country Season 1 TV Corner. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, talk to you guys next week. Baby,